Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to the conversation. This is Conversations from the Diaspora with Love. And I'm your host, your sister, and your friend in Kiru. And today we're having a special discussion titled The African Women Panel, A Conversation Between Sisters. And as you can see, I'm joined by four beautiful women today. Um, we're, we had a, a fifth panelist, but she couldn't uh, join us this evening. So, But for the sake of time, we'll, I'll briefly introduce them. And I do apologize for the late start. We had some technical difficulties. So I have to say... Hello. I have Kathy. Hi. I have Yar. Hi. And I have Joey. All right. So, ladies, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you all uh, once again for being part of this and for being here. Again, apologize for the delay. You all look amazing. Thank you for wearing yellow. Try. <laughs> and um, for those for those who may not know, I recently had a discussion on what it means to find your voice as an African woman. I had that um, episode recording with uh, Yar and Amek, who's not here tonight. So this episode was kind of like, for this recording that we're doing tonight, is um, inspired by that. So this is just going to be a continuation of that discussion. So, um, so once again, ladies, I just want us to consider a number of issues um, in our world today, from the current state of affairs, to parenting, to cultural identities, to our unique but similar in many ways, our um, upbringings, as well as a number of topics in between. So shall we begin? Yes. <laughs> All, right. All right, so to our viewers, uh, please comment wherever you're watching us from and let us know where you are and um, you know, say hi to us. And thank you all again for tuning in and apologize for the delay on our end. So let me just go ahead to the first question. Um, I often like to start with uh, the question about identity because I believe that when we know who we are, um, we can understand the world around us much better. And um, yes, we are all from different parts of the continent. We have Liberia, we have Nigeria, we have South Sudan, we have Ethiopia. We also have those, and we're, some of us were born here or came here at a young age, while others came um, maybe at, when they were a little bit older. When we also live different, in different parts of the country. So ladies, I'm gonna pose this question to you. Uh, I'll start with the same. Uh, when you are asked the question, where are you from? How do you typically answer? Where is home for you? And does this answer change depending on where you are or who you're around? No, um, I usually just tell people I'm Liberian. And if they don't know where that is, I'll say I'm from <laughs> Africa. Because trust me, a lot of people don't know Liberians in Africa. So I'll just say I'm Liberian or I'm African. It just doesn't change. I'm not gonna change that regardless of who I am or who I'm with. Okay. How about you, Kathy? Um, I usually say I'm half Liberian and half Nigerian, and then I specify like West Africa so yeah. they know exactly where I'm from. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. How about you, Yar? I usually say I'm South Sudanese. Okay. Like everybody that's asked me when I'm talking to like a South Sudanese person or a Sudanese person, then I will specify like I'm from you know this region. Yeah. In South Sudan. Okay, makes sense. How about you, Shoei? Um, I usually just tell people that I'm from Ethiopia. Um, so I'm one of the people um, on the panel who is who was born in the United States. Um, so my answer has kind of transitioned and developed over time. I don't know how much time we have to answer this particular question, but... No, go ahead. Um, generally... Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so, like I said, generally I would tell people that I'm from Ethiopia. Um, 
just because, you know, even though I was born in the U.S., um, kind of every, on every foundational level, the way that I was raised was very Ethiopian. Um, I always say that I feel like I grew up in Ethiopia in the United States, like in Ethiopia in the United States. Um, and when I say every foundational level, I went to an Ethiopian church. I grew up, um, you know, my mother made sure that we spoke our native language, grew up eating Ethiopian food. My circle of friends were all from the same place. We're all also Ethiopian. Um, and so just to kind of keep it short without going into too much detail, um, I would tell people that I'm from Ethiopia, and then when the conversation would kind of develop into where I was born, I started to come across a lot of people who um, kind of view cultural identity from a basis of where you were born. And so when I would tell them that I was born in the United States, well, they would say, I was often met with the response of, oh, so you're American, but your family's from Ethiopia. And so I got yeah. that response from so many people to where I started to almost make an agreement with it. Um, and I took issue with that for a while because I did not feel like I was American. Just because of the way that I grew up, I didn't deeply uh -huh. identify with American culture. And so that was a little bit, you know, on the topic of identity, that was a little bit of an issue for me. Um, so still, still now, um, I've... I'm still at the place where I tell people that I'm Ethiopian or sometimes, depending on the day, I'll tell okay. people I'm an Ethiopian American or an American Ethiopian. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, because um, like I said, some of us came at different um, ages. Like, for example, I came when I was four. Uh, to say, I think you came when you were 12, right? Yar, you came as a teenager, if yes. I'm not mistaken. So it was born here. Um, Kathy, you were born here, right? No, no, you no, were born No, I came when I was four. Okay. So, like, this is not what I initially planned on talking about, but some of us are what you would call 1.5 generation, and that pretty much means those who um, were born somewhere else but came here as a child or something along those lines. So our experiences are kind of uniquely different from, let's say, those who came as teenagers or adults. So it's interesting to kind of see how those experiences are different. But um, just as it relates to identity... And in light of all that's happening in our world today, as it relates to, you know, race relations, of course, how do you all see yourselves as black women? Um, and what I mean by that is how do you view yourselves in the conversations surrounding race today? Um, have you had any instances where people suspected you due to your race, um, like what we've been hearing in the news? And what can you say to our brothers and sisters on the continent who don't understand uh, when we, I guess, put ourselves in conversations relating to Black Americans or the Black Lives Matter movement or things of that nature? How, how can any of you respond to that? For me, um, being raised here really and like having my first memory and, you know, everything here, um, I really identify with, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. because I grew up here. But I've never like personally felt racism I've only felt racism from like African Americans, I would say, or discrimination. I can't say it's like racism. Mm -hmm. But um, when I first got here, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of us grew up with African booty scratcher and um, making sounds and, you know, like just being ignorant because they didn't know. But um, as far as like racism from white people, I personally haven't really experienced it. I went to like a predominantly white school, Catholic school. And I mean, even when I moved down here, 
it was mostly black people, like African Americans. But still, like as I got older, I I realized that they don't know better. So mm-hmm. I just educated my African American friends, and I still fight for Black Lives Matter because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if I get pulled over, they're not going to ask me am I African or am I African American. <laughs> You're black, so if they're going to be racist, they're going to be racist. So yeah, that's my experience. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Or you are, or shall we? Anyway? Um, for me, I I think I've experienced it. Like I told you um, in a previous um, chat that we did with a police officer, and also I've experienced it at work. Mm-hmm. I noticed that they'll be like, "Oh, um, can't discuss how much you are getting paid with your coworkers," and the reason behind that comes to find out is that they were paying me way less than they were paying my co-workers. Wow. And I assume because I'm black. Because why else would you want to keep it so secretive? You know, why would you want to yeah. be so secretive? And also, I've been in stores where I've been stared at, like, as if I'm about to steal or do something crazy. So it's like an everyday thing. But at the end of the day, I'm not even going to let that be or let that define who I am. I know who I am. I'm not going to let this whole race war in the in the U.S. define who I am. So that's just where I stand with the whole thing. It is what it is. Mm. Of course, we want to fight. We want to change it. But we also have to be aware of our surroundings at all times. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yark? I actually did have a similar experience to her. There was, you probably saw my post on Facebook in total. So there was one time uh, I was driving, my husband was driving actually, I was in the car with my daughter and we were going to visit his cousin in um, McKinney, Texas. So we were driving, everything is legit. There no rules were broken or anything, but then we got pulled over all of a sudden. And then the police officer came, you know, just asking questions. Of course we had a Louisiana license plate and, you know, black man driving a car in a neighborhood that he didn't think it was a black people neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So he just asked us, like, some questions and then asked for our IDs. So my husband gave him his, because uh, he was driving, my husband gave him the his driver's license, but I felt like maybe if I pull out my military dependent ID, it would make the situation better for us. So I didn't give him my driver's license. I pulled out my military ID and gave it to him. And he went to his car, came back, and look, everything was good. So he was then started talking about, oh, so are you in the military? I was like, no, I'm not. He is. And then I pointed to my husband. So he just ended up talking, talking. And I was like, so why did you get pulled over? He just uh-huh. wanted to lie. Like, he gave me, like, this crazy explanation. I just felt like we were, he was prejudiced against us. That's yeah. So, um, Yara, uh, just to kind of, you know, continue with that, do you think you felt that way? I guess, I mean, obviously, this is obvious, uh, I guess, question and answer, but do you think um, maybe in the last few years you probably wouldn't have felt that way, but due to what's been going on, you kind of felt like a different, like a heightened level of awareness, like maybe potentially like this might turn left kind of thing? Like, because you felt the need to bring out your camera. So, like, could you elaborate a little bit more? Definitely, like, you know, what's happening lately has opened up my eyes to so many things that I were not 
I, like before I wouldn't really care, but now when I get stopped or pulled over, I'm always ready because I don't know what, what can happen. Exactly. Like anything can just change in a, in a second. So I'm always alert. I'm always like try to do my best so I don't get in trouble. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's the sad reality we're living in um, at this time. What about you, Shoei? Could you uh, talk about that? Um, so I also identify with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, just because I, I kind of agree with everyone else when we say that. Um, I, I, I know that it's a, a big conversation, I guess, amongst Africans and African-Americans, and there's those own unique divides, you know, within that topic. But um, I think here with the United States system, it's the United States system is very limited in terms of its cultural competence. So, you know, as as someone else said, it's if if my brother, I have five brothers. Um, if one of if my brother gets pulled over by the police, he's you know, a six foot four black man, and he's just as likely to get harmed, you know, you know, for the reason of his race as, as anyone else. So I think that um, because even though I recognize my own uh, privilege in the sense that I have the connection to my culture and I have that connection back to Africa, um, at the same time, I still recognize that I live and exist within a country that's so stratified on race and where the black experience is just so unique as it compares to the rest of the world. So I definitely identify um, as, a, as a black woman. Um, I say black lives matter, black lives do matter. Um, and as far as um, if I've had any situations of racial discrimination, I have had a lot. Um, so I live in Colorado. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, there is a very large KKK presence in Colorado. Um, Contrary, I know a lot of people may believe that they're only really present in the South, but there's a lot of them, a lot out here as well. I don't know if anybody has seen um, The Black Klansman, um, but that movie was actually based on a true story in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So I feel like in present day, a lot of racisms are more covert, but um, I've experienced both. So, I mean, there have been situations just like the rest of you guys where I've been followed through a store um, to where it was, it was obvious that I was, I was being followed through a store, um, or just, I, I mean, I've been called the N word multiple times by white people. Um, I, I can recall a specific time where I can recall a specific time where I was, um, a couple of my friends and myself, our car had broke down, so we had, you know, pulled off to the side of the road. We were trying to figure out the situation with the car, and you know, a, a bunch of white people drove by in the car, and they said, "We're glad." that your car broke down n-word um n-words wow. um, my sister owns um a business she owns a coffee shop out here and at, at one point recently um in the last like year and a half um there was nothing n-words spray painted across her coffee shop um so i've and, and i've seen you know confederate flags i mean it's just i, I have experienced it a lot <laughs> in colorado wow. covert and over you know the microaggressions that are not so obvious yeah. but you know what it is and um yeah so i can definitely re relate as well because i'm actually glad that you mentioned that because i think for many of us um well, let me just speak for myself i personally unless i just wasn't aware because you, you know how i am you know some of our personal conversations i like to kind of think the best of, of people i you know for, you know even if they're doing something that's kind of weird 
I don't want to think that they're being weird. Maybe they're just having, you know, whatever kind of moment. But can you explain, like, microaggression just for us to kind of have a better understanding of what that is and how we can identify them? Yeah, definitely. Um, and by the way, that's one of the things that I admire about you because you do give the benefit of the doubt um, in a lot of situations. And I think that's a good thing, too. You know, it's when you are Black in America, we have to constantly look through a dual lens, you know, thinking like, you know, particularly with microaggressions, which I will explain, but it's like, you have to ask yourself, am I overreacting? Was that really a racist situation? Is that what I think it was? Or am I just being hypersensitive or, you know, so as far as microaggressions, um, so when you talk about like covert and overt racism, overt racism being just more obvious, like somebody blatantly, you know, referring to you, you know, using a derogatory term, um, or just being openly racist versus covert, which is kind of more microaggressive, more below the surface. Um, those moments that kind of leave you questioning yourself of, you know, am I overreacting to the situation or was this something that was um, kind of an undercurrent of racism? Like uh-huh. someone, like for example, I'm often told, well, I've been told um, in my life, you, know, you speak so well. <laughs> I get that <laughs> all the time. You? I get yeah, that like, all the time. Why do you talk like a white girl? I'm like, yes. I speak proper English. That's that's what white people is, or talking like a white girl, whatever. Right, as if as, as if you know, uh, success or speaking well is, um, is is a white characteristic, you know. And I just so I mean things like that where it's like more subtle, and and oftentimes microaggression is kind of un uh, it's kind of subconscious to the perpetrator too to where they don't even know that they're speaking from a place um of being racist or they don't know that they're um kind of acknowledging your race without acknowledging it and, and sometimes i hear a lot of white people say well i don't see color but a lot of times it's obvious that you do because when you make comments like that or i've heard also too your hair is so long is that your real hair and when i do so, oh yes this is my real hair really it's that long and then just almost a disbelief that certain characteristics can exist and persist within Black communities and African African. Uh-huh. Um, so that's more of the the microaggressive side, where it's it's you have to kind of keenly be aware and pay attention to it. Nice. Thank you for that um, explanation. Um, so on a similar note, you know, I think one of you mentioned it just now. We also talk about unity amongst members of the diaspora, um, you know, those of us on the continent and Black Americans, for example. Um, this age-old divide that we literally always talk about uh, between us as related, um, you know, unity and um, you know, the conflict between the communities. Um, but one thing we don't emphasize enough are the internal conflicts that we have in our home countries with ethnic, ethnic tensions and other things that we use to divide ourselves. Um, and it has served as a stumbling block for us to truly unite and make progress. So this is kind of like a really big question, but I thought it was important to ask. In your opinion, what can be done to have a truly unified Africa, or at the very least on an individual like state level, so we can move forward and command respect on a global scale? Okay, I think um, for me, this is how I see it. Before you're even Liberian or Nigerian or any other from any other place in Africa, you're African. Before you're any of that, you're African. And then you're, let's say, Nigerian. And then to be more specific, you're from where, whatever state you're from in Nigeria and whatever tribe you are. It goes in that order 
But I feel like the problem with Africans, we are so divided because it's more like we feel like, okay, this group of people are better than this one. Like, let's say Liberia. The Civil War happened because of two tribes that didn't like each other. And my thing here is we're all Liberians regardless. We're different culturally because we're from different villages and stuff, but we're all one people. Why You don't see Americans over here talking about oh, you're from England, you're from Spain. They don't do stuff like that. They do. Not, not, it's not they don't prevalent. use it. It's yeah, not of course, they don't yeah. use it to create conflict that results in war. And yeah. Stuff. That's my point. They don't do, use it in that way. But we are so quick to do that. We are really quick to do that as Africans. And I just feel like that's where the problem is. The sooner we realize that we are just Africans, the better. Because even at the end of the day, all these boundaries, all these countries we have in Africa, those are boundaries that were set by white men. Before those boundaries, we were all just living as one people. So we're not really different. If you really think about it, we're really not that different. And if we really want people to respect us as Africans, we have to come together not saying we're not going to have issues or disagreements. Of course, we're going to have issues. Everybody has different point of views on issues and stuff. But at the end of the day, if you do not represent and hold your continent down, no one else will. That's how I see it. Just to piggyback off what she was saying, I, for me personally, I just feel like as human beings, we should all just see each other as human beings, regardless of wherever you're from. Treat people equally until they show you otherwise, you know? Like, don't dislike somebody just because of wherever they're from or whatever tribe or whatever country they're from. Dislike them because they're mean or they're rude, you know, for characteristics. That's just my stance on that. Yeah, Yeah, what do you think? I think unifying Africa is, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's a very hard thing to achieve because we have a lot of differences, cultures, languages, religion, a lot of stuff. But uh, definitely this can be improved. Mm-hmm. We already have like the African Union. Mm-hmm. If we take that African Union seriously, we make it easier for uh, uh, countries to visit each other. Like when, I, when I'm when i in South Sudan, I want to go to Kenya. Mm-hmm. I have to get a visa. I have to get all of those stuff done before I can, before they can allow me to get into Kenya. So if we had less restrictions, we'll feel more like we are uh, same people. We are like one yeah. people. Also, if it was easy for people to travel, they would feel like they belong. Oh, yes. I lived in North Carolina for like all my time here in the U.S. But I went to school in Houston, Texas. But now I feel like Texas is a part of me because of the fact that I went to school in Texas. So if we had things that people would go, like I'd say, let's say uh, there's something in Nigeria that will attract people to go. So when I go to Nigeria, then I will learn about Nigerian and then I'm going to be more comfortable dealing with Nigerian. Actually, there's this South Sudanese model. She's a supermodel. It's crazy, but I have to share this story. <laughs> Her name is Aduda Cage. So she's a supermodel. It's really pretty and all that. So it turned out that she's dating a Nigerian brother. 
and that was really people are like losing it over just the fact that she's dating another African man. I mean, she's South Sudanese, he's Nigerian. Just imagine for people to be outraged just because of something as simple as that, you know? <laughs> I'm actually happy to try that up here because I know, um, like, like we've just discussed, sometimes like inter-ethnically, there's always some type of issue. So sometimes it's even worse when you're, um, let's say you're married to someone that's from another country. Like, why should that be an issue? I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Shoei? So, this is actually, I, I don't know how much everyone knows about like current, current African events and things like that or political events in Africa, but um, in Ethiopia in particular, this is a huge issue right now, like ethnic cleansing, ethnic divides. Um, so, I mean, and, and for me, and Kiri, we talked about this too last year. So I, I traveled to Ethiopia as recently as, um, it's been like nine, 10 months. Um, so I spent a, a lot of time there last year and I, I traveled all over the country and there were places where I couldn't even say my real name or speak my language because my name is very indicative of the area in Ethiopia that I'm from. And, you know, just to not kind of stir anything up or put myself in, in harm's way, um, for short. So, yes, I think that it, it is a huge problem in Africa, obviously. I mean, you think about all the African countries that are a result of, you know, that were once a unified country that are a result of a civil war, like, you know, um, like Ethiopia, Eritrea, like North South Sudan, like, you think about those places. Um, I think that one of, something that I think will be very effective um, is education. Because I feel like the more you know, and it's like the old adage, you know, the old quote, knowledge is power. It is, it is very true because the more you know, the more empowered you are to make your own um, decision, have your own perspectives and not kind of fall victim to the perspectives that are presented to you, you know, that have, um, that were presented to you on an agenda anyway, as an African person. And I think that the more you know, and the more you're able to do as well, there's, um, the more you're able to do for yourself. And um, I, I know specifically in Ethiopia, a lot of the, the rebels right now who are um, fighting each other and, and kind of participating in these, in these ethnic divides uh, are really just kind of desperate for some sort of power or to feel some sort of power over their lives. Um, so I think that, again, the more you know, the more education that you have, the more empowered you are to make a better decision um, and be critical of issues on a higher level from, from your own perspective, um, as opposed to be, you know, given a perspective by your leaders or, or whoever that may be, maybe influencing people, um, especially now with social media. Um, but I think that knowledge, and I, and I think that's why we're in the middle of such a conscious revolution right now in, in the African diaspora in general, because there's so much access to information, you know, social media, peer-to-peer um, -peer news, we're able to communicate with each other and talk to each other and show each other what's going on um, in our communities. Um, and so I just think that we need to really focus on that. And, and also, um, you know, I know we're all focused on individual success and we're all trying to kind of um, progress, but we have to make sure that we're, you know, we kind of have that Nipsey Hustle mentality of like, we're looking back and we're making sure we're bringing people with us and, you know, looking out for our brothers and sisters and if we notice anything and um, just just spreading the knowledge and spreading the wealth and looking out for each other as well, I think is very important. 
also. Thank you so much for sharing that, sis. Um, <clears throat> so just to switch gears a little bit, uh, for many of us growing up, we didn't always have the liberty to truly express how we felt about certain things um, to our parents, either because we felt they wouldn't listen or they wouldn't understand due to our own um, cultural upbringing or generational differences and what have you. So for those of us who are mothers or, you know, play a significant role in the raising of maybe your nieces and nephews or other um, young children that are kind of around you in your village, uh, and even for those who plan on being future mothers in the future, how important is it for you to give your children or, you know, allow them room to be themselves and to have their own voice? And what does that mean to you? And in what ways have you or will you do this? So maybe give the moms a chance to speak first and then for yeah and then we non-moms for me I feel like growing up in a African home we are like we we're always taught that you don't you can't speak how you feel you can't say anything basically you have to go whatever your parents believe you have to believe whatever they believe you have to do whatever they want you to do and I feel like, for me, personally, I actually got my voice after I had my daughter, and I had my daughter at an early age. So I felt at that point, I'm an adult, I have to like take control of my life. I can't just let, you know, my parents or my family control everything. At the end of the day, it's my life. So I feel like it's important for me to be that like soft with my daughter, but not too soft. You know, because at you can be soft, but once you let the barrier down completely, there might be some issues. You have to set boundaries, of course, based on how old they are. So, yeah. So I feel like with the voice, I don't have an issue with that because I just feel like everybody, everyone should have the right to express themselves. Because if I'm feeling this way, I can't enforce that on my daughter to feel that way. Okay. Maybe that's not how she feels, you know? And it's okay, but I just feel like the older African generation, they still have that mentality of pushing things on their kids. Like, you have to believe what I believe. You have to do what I tell you to do. So, and that's why it's important for us that are, like, overseas in the diaspora to change this um, mindset. Because if we're not changing it, it's going to keep going on and on and on and on. But with the education we have and the exposure we have in the Western world and communities, I feel like that's a bonus for us to be a little lenient with our children. Okay. Okay, Yard? I think it's um, what I'm doing right now differently with my kids. Like my parents, like any other African parents, they will... <laughs> I wasn't allowed to do a lot of stuff, you know. By the time I introduced him to my husband, it was like, um, I know they suspected that I was seeing him because sometimes he would come and pick me up, go to movies and stuff. But I I wasn't open with them, like, to tell them, like, okay, this is my boyfriend or something, you know? I always had that. I mean, my parents are pretty good, but I just had that fear, like, okay, what are they going to say? Like, I was just, sometimes I felt like I needed to not say much. So I don't get in trouble. But I want to change that with my daughter. She's only two years old. 
but now we're practicing how to talk about her feelings. There's this great book, I think, oh, I was going to have it with me. It's called I Am a Rainbow. It's from a Dolly Parton library. So the books talk about uh, different feelings, how you can be mad, how you can be sad or frustrated. So I'm trying to let her learn about her feelings because I really, I had a hard time communicating how I feel. Even in my marriage, sometimes I would bottle things up. Like, I don't know how to come and say, this is how I'm feeling or that. I would just you know, be quiet or shut down. And I don't want my daughter to go through that. So I'm, I'm giving her the tools and the option to be more expressive, talk about her feelings and not feel ashamed of how she feels. And it's going to make a change. I know she's not going to go through certain things that I went through. I don't want her. I want the best for her. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Kathy, I know you're <laughs> in a big I'm not a mom yet. <laughs> but growing up, yeah, like, I mean, I was told don't say too much or whatever. And, like, as I got older, I grew very timid and I was really scared to express myself. And even still now, I'm working on, like, not bottling my feelings inside because of all that, you know? But when I do have kids, we're definitely going to have an open dialogue. Like, if you're mad at me, oh, mom, I didn't like what you did. You know, you don't have to be rude about it, but tell me you don't like what I did. I'll apologize because you, your feelings are supposed to be validated. So, yeah, I definitely want my kids to feel comfortable to talk to me about anything, no matter what it is. Because I didn't, like, I'm just now getting used to, like, telling my mom, oh, oh this is my guy. I, I still say guy friend. I don't say <laughs> it's, hard <for> me. <laughs> it's hard for me to say boyfriend still. Like, I'm getting used to it. But, and my parents weren't that strict, but it was just, it's that culture, you know, you just know certain things. You don't talk too much. You don't talk back to adults. Even if an adult is rude to you, you can't disrespect them or you can't tell them, I don't like how you treated me. But now, like, it's more open dialogue with my mom and it's definitely going to be like that with my kids. Kathy, I like the fact that you said that um, just really quickly. <clears throat> so now, like, of course, we still have, you know, our older aunties and uncles um, mm-hmm. community. If they do something that you don't like, do you feel comfortable letting them know, you know, I didn't like that? <laughs> Uh, me. <laughs> I mean, I don't do it in a disrespectful way, but I'm an adult now. So yeah. if you do something to me that I don't like, I'm going to let you know. I didn't like, I didn't appreciate the way you talked to me. I didn't appreciate what you said or, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, <good>. definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So what about you? I know we talk about this all the time, like with your niece, your niece. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, um, I have always just been an outspoken, like I was always an outspoken kid. Um, I just remember my earliest memories just always being an outspoken kid. And I think for me, um, I, I, I feel like I definitely was not raised to have my own voice. That, that wasn't something like like the mothers on the panel when they say that they encourage that you know their children to have their own voice and to speak up and things like that. That was something that was never encouraged in me. In fact, I would say that it was quite the opposite. Um, with, you know, having dual identities, which is what it essentially is when you're, you know, when your family or IDPs, you know, internationally just six people and you have these two cultures that really make up who you are. Um, with 
Ethiopian culture and I feel like American culture, I think the rules um, in terms of what's expected of women is very contradictory, is, is my experience anyway. In Ethiopia, if you're a good woman, you may be very <laughs> submissive, less blossomy, a homemaker, you can cook and you know, you can do all these things. You're, yeah, you, you, you're, um, I don't know, you just have this kind of like delicate <laughs> uh, nature uh-huh. to you. Um, whereas, you know, in American culture, especially now, I, I grew up in the 90s, um, when there was a there was a lot of feminine feminism that was pushed where women, you know, were starting to become trailblazers and started to become feminists and career women. And, you know, I grew up in that time period where it was like, you know, blaze your own path. Don't depend on the man for anything. Be, you know, be you. So for me, that was very those contradictory messages were very confusing for me. So I think that because of the way that my parents grew up, when they would kind of witness my personality, I think that it was kind of a a problem almost to where I felt kind of silenced. Um, And I think that it's really important to adults. I don't have um, any children except for my inner child. (laughs) I I parent my inner child all the time. Um, I parent myself and, and, you know, I do want to have children, but I think that it's very important to acknowledge um, as African people that ultimately, if you are an an important adult in a child's life, um, if you are a voice that that child values, ultimately your voice will become their voice. As they get older, they will say everything that you say to them to themselves. And I think that for me, because I was always told um, to kind of be more like so and so. Just tone it down a yes. little bit. You're too, you're too this, you're too that. Yeah, I know my sisters can relate to this. And eventually, yeah, I, would tell my, I would tell myself that, you know, because when they were no longer there to tell me that, I would. That became my inner voice, and I would. So it caused me, you know, in whatever setting it may be, whether it be a professional setting or a classroom setting, even if I felt like I had something effective to contribute, I would replay that voice. Well. It caused me to question myself. It caused me to question my own voice. And I think that um, children who are not taught to question their own voice have a significant head start in life. And I think that's very important um, because ultimately I learned that eventually, but, you know, at, at at what age, you know, it was it was very further along in my life. So I definitely will um, acknowledge when I have children that every single human being, even my children, you know, are throbbing with their own fingerprint. They have their own perspectives. They have their own um, minds. And I think it's great, you know, what the other panelists said, like, you know, I'm being open to being wrong. I'm not, I'm not a perfect human being just because I'm your parent doesn't mean I'm perfect. I may get it wrong and encourage you to say, you know, well, I think that you were wrong in this area and being willing and strong enough to say, okay, I think, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I see your perspective and just kind of growing um, that mentality of your voice matters, what you think matters, and your feelings count. And I think that that's very empowering to our children. Yep. Sorry, that was really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I like the fact that you mentioned this uh, notion of the inner child. And again, we discuss this all the time. So, yeah, we have a lot of work to do, not just for you know our future children or our children, but also for ourselves to make sure that we're, you know, the best that we can be. Um, so, you know, so Choi, again, um, you and I have this discussion all the time about 
this uh, problematic, long-standing uh, social, cultural, societal, or traditional norms that need to be dismantled in our generation. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as this <laughs> as this on um, African women, uh, what are some things that you grew up seeing? Maybe your mothers, uh, your aunts, or other women in your immediate community doing that you personally will not do, or you or continue as it relates to your future children, or just you know every other aspect of life. Well, um, so that, that's a good question. And I, I'm, some, I'm somebody who, and Kira, that, that question was directed at me, right? I just want to make sure. Oh, yes, for everyone. Yeah. But you can go ahead and start, sis. Okay. Um, so I, I'm somebody who, you know, is very respectful of culture. I love diversity. Diversity is um, something that's very beautiful, beautiful to me. I've always been very fascinated by our similarities and our differences and I think it's something to be celebrated um but I think that despite my reverence for culture and 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 just culture I think that there are shallow traditions I think that there is um something such as shallow cultures I think there are certain things that despite them being so deeply entrenched in our cultures that need to be left behind. And I think that that's something that we're seeing now in this country <laughs> where, you know, the statues being taken down and certain um, NFL teams, you know, the Washington Redskins, uh, their name being questioned and certain holidays that are celebrated that acknowledge one particular group's experience, but completely, you know, don't acknowledge another group's experience. And just because that's something that's so deeply entrenched in culture, it doesn't mean that it's the right thing. It doesn't mean that it, need, it needs not to be questioned or maybe left behind. So something um, as it relates to the women that I grew up with, and and I think that because I've talked to you and Kira about this and I've talked to some of my other African sisters about this too, something that I think is universal amongst women in Africa is just this criticism of each other. I think that we criticize each other so much. And it's, it's, it's so, it's one of those things where I, I, I'm just a sensitive person. <laughs> um, just naturally. <laughs> I'm just a sensitive person. So that's another lens that I have to look through. Like, are you being sensitive or is this, you know, do you have a legitimate grievance here? But I th it kind of made me tough in a way. It did, you know, kind of the beauty for ashes in that regard. But I think that a lot of the criticisms that I received from the women that I was around growing up, my aunties, my mom, my sister, who, you know, her and I have a significant age gap, she's 10 years older than me. There were certain things that were said to me as I was a child, certain criticisms that I received that, again, like alluding to my previous point, became my inner voice. It, it, it wasn't, and it was pointless. It didn't in any way build me. It didn't, you know... It didn't contribute to my growth in any way. Like, you know, I, I know that African people, for example, or in Ethiopian culture, they're very candid about weight. You got fat. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Yeah, that's, I don't know why they feel like yeah. the, the greeting is, oh, you've, you've added weight. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's not even like, you know, hey, is everything okay? Or it's, it's more like, oh, oh my God, I haven't seen you forever. You got fat. And I'm like, thanks, <laughs> appreciate right. that. But, you know, and then in Ethiopian culture also, um, when you, you know, when you get darker, for example, like if your skin looks a little bit darker and you've been spending time in the sun or whatever, um, 
it's kind of equated with, oh, are you going through something? Like, is something grim going on? Like, like, what is wrong? Is everything okay? Or, you know, just these, these very kind of terse approaches with appearance and just physicality and just trying to, you know, push this perfection all the time. I think that that was very problematic. And, I, and I, I, I'm very hard pressed to believe that the African women that I grew up with did not know that that does not feel good. If you know that something does not feel good, if you wouldn't want that to be said to you, then you shouldn't say it to other people. Um, so that's something that I definitely wouldn't mind relinquishing. Like, you know, I'm not, I mean, certain things, of course, you should be honest with the people that you love, but you know, nine times out of 10, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And just kind of being more sensitive and, and, and aware in that regard. So that's what I would say to that. Yeah. Yeah, I can go. Go I mean, like you said, I'm super sensitive. Like, I am the queen of sensitivity. Like, no, I don't like that at all. And like, growing up, it was really tough for me because I'm not like the normal African woman. Like, I don't love to cook. I don't love to be like, (laughs) honestly, I don't love to be submissive to my man or whatever. Like, I have a mouth on me. I speak out if, you know, I don't like how somebody's treating me. And I mean, I just had to learn to balance it out while like still being, you know, traditional, like, because I do want to get married one day. I can't be too much like that. But still having to um, understand, like have my spouse understand that. Yeah. Um, about equality, not saying like, OK, I think I'm a man or whatever, but I feel like, OK, we should respect each other on the same level if, you know, like um, African culture, the guy, if you're living with a guy, he pays the rent and stuff like that. I feel like, OK, yeah, you pay the rent, but maybe or mortgage and I'll, you know, help out with the food or the um, the lights or something like that, you know, but I'm and then the, the fat thing, too. Oh, my gosh. When I gained weight, oh my gosh, it was like never hear the end of it. I never heard the end of it. I still don't, and I'm just like, I just learned to just be like, whatever, like, and then I might like pick on them for whatever they're insecure about, and then that usually <laughs> ends the conversation. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not. I'm working on that because I'm not the traditional African woman at all, and I mean, some ways I do want to be like it, but other ways I'm happy with who I am. Like you're just gonna have to take it as it is. So you're not gonna get somebody that's like cleaning 24/7 or cooking 24/7 for you when you get home. The food is on the table. No, we're both gonna be at work, and you know, we'll find whatever whatever's in the house and we'll cook it and stuff like that. So yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> so, Kathy, now, now that you said that, I have to ask you a follow-up question. What is a traditional African woman? What does that mean exactly? Okay, the traditional African woman, and I'm just going to say from Liberia because like, that's the culture I grew up in. You love to cook. You wait on your man hand and foot. When he gets home, you have his food on the table. Um, you wash his clothes, you clean up the house. He doesn't help with anything. All he does is go to work and come home. That's all he does. Go to work, come home. And you're, I mean, now, you know, we're all expected to work or whatever, but traditionally, you'll be at home and he's working. But now you're actually working. Oh, yeah. You have to go to work, come home, cook, clean, 
And then make sure if you guys have kids, make sure the kids are good because he's, he doesn't have time for that. Like he's working so hard, so he doesn't have time to take care of the home. That's your job. <laughs> it's a lot. Like, who's got to do all that? It's definitely a lot. And, and I feel like if, if, they, if they expect us to take on that, what was normally yeah. the role of working, like if I'm also working, then you need to also be doing what are considered female roles. And exactly. like you said, have to be equal. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it has to be an equal balance because the family is important. Like that's when you get home, that's your safe zone that, you know, it should be, it should flow nicely. It should be your peaceful your home should be peaceful. Your home should be, you know, after the world takes out a bunch of your energy, your home should replenish your energy and it should just be good vibes. So if everybody works together, in my opinion, the home flows and it's exactly just, it's exactly what's supposed to be like yeah. your safe zone. Um, I think for me, I'm, I'm a feminist and I think a lot of the women I've encountered and expressed my views, they have issue with it. Um, I'm sorry. I do believe the man is the head and all that, the, what the Bible says. I believe in all that. Trust me. But at the end of the day, I have a voice. I'm gonna speak my mind. I'm not, you're not gonna do something to me and I'm just gonna be quiet. I'm gonna say it. You did this and you did that because I have the right to. And I just feel like in our African culture, women have been taught to be quiet. You're not supposed to voice your opinions. You're not supposed to have views. You're not even supposed to have emotions over anything. You're just supposed to sit and take whatever that is given to you. Oh, and <laughs> for me, I just, I can't do it. I just have to, even if, I'm gonna stay in whatever situation I'm in. I'm gonna still express myself in that situation. I'm not gonna be quiet. And this whole, like Kathy said, you have to cook, you have to clean, you have to do this. Okay, why can't she help me cook too if I'm working? Exactly. If you're off and I'm at work, fix something for us to eat. If I'm not home, you're home with the kids. Help the kids with their homework. Help the kids do laundry. Do something. You don't have to wait for me to get home. And I just feel like African men have been programmed to think they're the gods of the household, like they're God, literally. I think that in their heads, they think they're God. They just feel like they're untouchable. They feel like they shouldn't have to work as hard as women. And another thing is, I feel like African men don't think taking care of a house is a job. Uh-huh. They don't think taking care of kids is a job. They don't think that. Because if they did, they wouldn't be like, oh, but why are you so tired? Maybe I'm tired because I've had a cook, I had a queen, I I had to have the kids. That's a whole job. And those things take time and energy. So I just it's just the way we're programmed. Uh-huh. And I just feel like like she said earlier, education is major. Because when you're educating, educate yourself on how you should be treated or how your opinions matter, you have a better standing. But if you're just going to believe in a traditional uh, way of thinking where your voice should not be heard at any time, you just sit there, you're going to find yourself in trouble. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. 
and I'm one of those people. I can't keep my feelings to myself. I just have to say it. That's good. Even if I don't say it, my facial expression will say it. Like it will say it mm-hmm. because my face. You're gonna know I'm mad. So that's just how I feel about the whole gender <laughs> roles and all that. It's a lot. I know. <laughs> Yeah, what about you? I'm gonna let her go. Actually, I still got a lot to say. And then the cheating part too. Like it's just, it's a lot. Like it's a lot when it comes to being the quote-unquote traditional African woman. We're taught to just the man can do whatever he wants to do. That's how men are. You know, that's boys will be boys. No, like when I have sons, no, you're gonna respect women. You're gonna learn how to cook too. You're gonna learn how to clean too. Because at the end of the day, you're supposed to help your wife. You're supposed to help the woman like you can't expect us to just be burnt out and then still try to function that's that's not gonna work yeah i definitely agree with that exactly there has to be some level of balance Mm -hmm. what about you yarn so there's one thing that i would never (laughs) ask my kids or younger girls who are around me like my nieces or people in my community when i was growing up like some aunties would come and tell me like oh the way you act you you know you don't hide your like when I'm mad you can see it in my face huh? I cry so easily like <laughs> you can see it I can't hide it even if I don't say anything you would know it yeah so I'll always get that like oh who's gonna marry you if with this behaviors wow. you know? how are you gonna be a wife you know when you act like that so I'm raising my daughters not to aspire for marriage marriage is a good thing I'm happily married I love my husband it's it's good to have that companionship. But I'm not going to raise my kids to just think about marriage as like the highest accomplishment. I'm not going to do that. If they want to get married, they can get married. If they don't want to get married, then it's up to them. I just want them to be happy, responsible adults. I just don't want them to. There was some, at some point in my life, I was questioning whether I would be married or not. Because some people would say, I'm focused too much on education or speaking my mind or I'm too skinny to be a wife. Actually, you, the, the fat thing you guys should switch when it comes to our students because they love big five women. Even right now when I work out, they tell me, oh, why do you work out? You know, you have to to look like a madam, you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, wait, you have to look like a what? They say you have to look like a what? Like a madame. That's how... Oh, madame. Yeah, like they would say, oh, you need to look like this. So um, definitely, I would I would not do these things to my kids. I'm not going to let them think about, okay, or worry about, maybe I'm not going to get married because of my looks or because of how I talk or because of how I carry myself. Marriage is not, it's a good thing, but it's not, it's not what you need to aspire for. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Because yeah. that's, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, you're not married in every tradition, you're not, you're not married in life, you're not a woman, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, another thing. Yeah, go ahead. Another thing, if you're, let's say you just got married, it's like, oh, man, you got to start having kids. Can you mind your business? <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you, my womb watching me? Why are you, like, watching me? Like, mind your business. Yeah, no. When it happens, it happens. If I want it, I'll get it. Mm-hmm. It's not your business. Like, it irks me. Like it really irks me. You like it really irks me. Like every time I go out, oh, it's been one year now. What are you waiting for? 
Why y'all waiting? Your daughter's getting older. She needs another sibling. Like, mind your business. Oh you know, it's just we're so comfortable with just bursting out things to people. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like we don't think it hurt people's feelings. Like, stop. You don't know people's situations. You don't know that people are dealing with fertility issues. People are dealing with a lot. So you can't just be bursting out stuff to people, you know? Yeah. It's just... I don't know. It's crazy. And there's some people like myself. Like when I have, when I get married, I'm gonna wait like two or three years because I want to travel and be comfortable with my husband. You know, have that honeymoon yeah. phase. <laughs> and like enjoy your husband. And like yeah, kind of piggyback off of what some some of the ladies are saying is like, I think I definitely agree that African women have been taught to be silenced and. I mean, when you talk about like patriarchal societies, that was obviously because that was beneficial to men because it benefited them to have a wife or a woman in their life who would let them do whatever they wanted to do and then also would provide for their needs and, you know, wouldn't give them any problems. But I think that um, just just to kind of balance out, the, balance out um, the situation a little bit, I think that when people have been oppressed because women have been oppressed and, and, and as it relates to this particular conversation, African women have long been oppressed. Um, because when you talk about intersectional issues, you talk about race and you talk about you know, just being an African person and then on top of you know, double down on that being an African woman. Um, I think that we have long felt this way to where sometimes we, Sometimes we can, you know, and I say this as a personal responsibility, sometimes we can find our way back to the middle because when you feel like your voice has been silenced for too long and then you find your voice and you're like, wait, hold on, like, but my voice is valuable, but you can't tell me that I can't contribute. You can't tell me that I have to just be hush-hush all the time. And then you may find your voice and you may be, you know, depending on what your perspective is, because I, you know, I agree with some of the ladies who said that, you know, the man, the man is the head of the household and... I just feel like there's a there's also a way to have a voice and there's a way and I've learned this. There's a way to have a voice and there's a way to communicate um, and, and to just affirm your own standing as an African woman while still um, being respectful of each other. Yes. And I'm the same way I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Like, yes. I think, you know, as African people in general, we're we're so right brain we're such deep feelers we're very spiritually inclined people and we can't hide our feelings like we're not robotic we're not like we are very you know we feel and so especially as women so i think that um i've kind of had to find my way back to the middle in that regard in terms of having my voice but at the same time um picking my battles i should say yeah uh-huh. yeah and to go off of that i feel like um if men start to give their women, like in the African society, if they start to give their women the chance to voice how to feel, their opinions, their emotions, I think it would be good. I think the home will look like mm-hmm. the household would be very good. But right now, it's like if I'm angry about something dead and I can't voice my emotions out, then like, I'm just going to be walking around the house mad. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be happy. It's just going to be a terrible um, environment for your kids to grow. Like, because I'm just going to be angry because I can't say how I feel. And once you constantly keep stuff in, one day you're just going to go off. 
and everyone's going to be confused. It shouldn't have to get to that point. There should be balance. Not to say like, um, like she said, you have to choose your battles, of course. You're going to respect your husband. She's going dead. No, I think it's trash. You're going to respect your husband, but you're also going to respectfully voice your opinions Mm -hmm. and emotions. Exactly. So, ladies, not not to cut off um, this conversation, because I know we can definitely talk a lot about it, but um, just to speak a little bit more about all these problematic things that we kind of go through. As one of you mentioned earlier, colorism is a very is a major issue in the African diaspora, both on the continent, possibly worse on the continent, I'm not sure, maybe, and in America, <laughs> as well as elsewhere in the world, um, you know, where our people are found. So how many of you grew up hearing things, and again, I know one of you mentioned it, but just for the sake of the question, um, make sure you don't stay out in the sun for too long, or you're getting too dark, or try to use a skin lightening cream. Or anything else that is like similarly degrading like that and how did that make you feel and how uh, did you respond to it did you internalize it anyway did you ever maybe feel like you had to lighten your skin in some uh, form or anything like that or with the weight thing well for me um i've always been light so i can't really speak but i've heard and I have darker sisters and cousins, but I've heard people say that, oh, you're getting too dark, you need to use this, to lighten this, you know, always giving suggestions. But I can't relate to the weight part because in theory, you knew me in high school, I was really skinny. <laughs> and <laughs> I always get, I mean, it's been years since I left high school, but I always get the question, what happened to you? Like, Oh no, you need to lose weight. You can't be this, this big. You can't, what are you eating? Like you gotta and then they'll start giving me suggestions and stuff. Like, how do you know if I'm just sitting at home just eating? Like, who sits at home and just eats? <laughs> like, who does that? And even if I was, how does that affect me? How is that your business? I just feel like we like to impose our own demons on people, like our own insecurities, and we Africans love to do that. We impose our insecurities on people all the time. They'll be like, oh, but why your hair is like that? Why is your weight like that? Why is your skin like that? Why is your body like It's just always something. They're always questioning your appearance, and it shouldn't be like that. Because if I'm not questioning your appearance, why are you questioning mine? Exactly. And why is it important to you? Hmm. I mean, for me, I'm like on the medium side as far as like skin color or whatever it is. I mean, some, growing up, like, you know, the guys like the light skin girls. So sometimes I did feel a little like sad. Or, I don't even want to say sad, but um, I felt like weird about it at first. And I was like, dang. Sometimes I was like, I wish I was light skin, but as I got older I got more confident with my skin color and I love my skin color even with my natural hair it took a while for me to get comfortable with just wearing it like this like because it's not the norm like you have to always have your hair permed and straight like the European style of beauty is what's um I don't even know what's the word what's shown on tv as beautiful or whatever and it's just crazy and same thing with the weight like I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't like thick then, but I was pretty skinny when I started gaining weight. 
um, for various reasons, it was, oh, oh my gosh, ew, like, why are you getting so fat? Like, you need to slow down. You, you need to stop eating. You, you need to go on a diet, you know? This will help you lose weight. That'll help you lose weight. And it's just like, whatever. Maybe I, I like being thick. Hello? Like, don't worry about all that. But yeah, that's my experiences with, like, colorism and um, weight. Yeah. Uh, Yar, what do you think? Yeah, you're on mute. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, with colorism, as you can all see, I'm like the darkest of all of you here. It was like a really big issue for me. Like, at a certain point, I didn't feel like I was beautiful. I just felt like I was ugly because of how people will look at me or they will say, come and like, oh my God, you... Let me go back to when I was getting married. So we have this uh, tradition. We do henna for the wedding. I have people coming to me, telling me that I need to use skin bleaching creams so I can get lighter in order for the henna to show. Just imagine that. It's just, I just felt like, oh my God, do they really understand how does that make me feel? that I need to uh, brighten my skin just for the henna to show. I'm black, but there's a difference between the blackness of the skin and the blackness of the henna. So I went through it. People will call my sister or they will give suggestion. Okay, we, she can use this or she can use that or let her use this. But at the end of the day, I was told them, I was like, you know what? My husband fell in love with me or my fiance fell in love with me. dark. So I'm not going to change that to please you guys if I'm ugly mm-hmm. or if I'm going to look like a man because apparently there's this thing. It's a culture in South Sudan. If you look at the wedding pictures, the women are always four to three shades lighter than the men. So I was like, if I'm going to look darker than my husband, if I'm going to look like a man, let it be. I had to really stand for myself because otherwise I was just being attacked from everywhere. You need to use the skin. Oh, you have a three months until until your wedding, if you start using Carolite or, you know, all this stuff, then you would look lighter. And then I was also, I've always been speaking, speaking out against skin bleaching. So I would write stuff on Facebook or I would post a video or an article or something. People felt offended because there's a lot of Sudanese, Sudanese and South Sudanese people that do bleach their skin. So sometimes they will call my parents, oh, Yar is at it again. She's now on Facebook, you know, insulting people and talking talking about this. But I'm actually educating people because I don't want them, I don't want like younger girls or younger people to be tempted to do, to bleach their skin. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that, so many reasons that you shouldn't bleach. But yeah, I've, I've heard everything. Also like, um, here in the States, I feel like sometimes my look, people would automatically box, put me in a certain box. Like I would be out in the mall or something. They'd be like, oh my God, are you a model? Uh-huh. I mean, there's nothing wrong with modeling or being models, but I can be a lot of stuff. I don't have to be a model just because I'm a darker skin or I'm from South Sudan. It just, it makes, it's a compliment, but it just makes me feel kind of uncomfortable sometimes yeah but I'm, I'm really happy that recently on instagram and social media people are like 
melanin is kind of like in fashion now so yeah. i don't know like, i'm not gonna go through what i went through they will be proud they will feel beautiful they're not gonna be okay you know i'm not that beautiful maybe i just at some point <laughs> i couldn't walk like when i go to a party or something i can't just walk comfortably i would walk fast i, I was just like a poor kid and my skin color made it worse like i would I would be scared to talk or let people look at me because I'm thinking they're looking at me like, okay, they're saying, oh my gosh, why is she that dark? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for mentioning that because like you said, like with social media, we're seeing like a lot more, um, you know, positivity when it comes to blackness, melanin, magic, you know, like the darker you are, it's like, oh my gosh, goals, which is something that we didn't see for a long time. So I'm really happy Mm -hmm. that people are, you know, starting to appreciate, um, you know the beauty of our skin and um you know i'm actually surprised like in your experience like even in south sudan i i mean just from my understanding i would assume that more people would you know it would be kind of the norm if you have darker skin why would they like bleach or something that's kind of strange to me well because you know we were a part of sudan before we became south sudan we were part of sudan and the people of Sudan, some of them are lighter, some of them look almost like Ethiopian. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all the same people. A lot of people think I'm from Senegal or somewhere else. Yeah. So, uh, in Sudan, there are, people, there are people like with the lighter skin, and those are looked at as like the beautiful people or the mm-hmm. high-class people. So we, all, we grew up seeing lighter skin people being treated better. So that, I think, affected the way we look at ourselves. Thank you. Yeah. Show it. Show it. Okay, sorry. Okay. Hey, hey, sorry. Yeah, I had to take myself off. Um, so I think um, colorism, like especially um, just growing up here, there is that like kind of one monolithic perspective of beauty that's pushed like the lighter you are, the more beautiful that you're considered to be. I also remember being young and like all the boys um, going for the light skin girl and you know you know just based off of what was what was mainstream what was considered beautiful at that point um, and but, but I think that of course like just listening to everyone else talk and um, just as I inform myself more and more I come to realize that this is something that is not limited to the United States colorism is just everywhere like especially with our mm-hmm. people um, people let the color of your skin, like like I mentioned earlier, they um, will make judgments about what you may be going through on a personal level, depending on your skin tone, or um, a lot of times it may determine how somebody treats you. And in my personal experience, I would say, I mean, I really don't know where I fall. I really don't know where I fall on the color spectrum. I mean, I don't care. I really don't care um, because I have come to. Um, realize that a lot of these perspectives as far as our judgments of each other as it relates to colorism have been handed down by oppressive colonial means. I think that we all have, um, we're all beautiful and I I love that um, it's something that, you know, like, you know, melanin is in and, you know, kind of as part of that conscious revolution where it's like, but hold on, like beauty doesn't just look like one one way there's you know over seven billion people on the planet everybody looks so different we're all some you know different shades especially us as african melanated people 
we're so diverse and that's what makes us beautiful and I think that I mean I, I mean I've never personally had any experiences of you know someone um, suggesting like uh, a bleaching cream or anything like that to me but I have had you know people like I mentioned earlier someone saying you know are you okay like what are you going through you you've gotten a little bit darker or um someone suggesting that you know maybe I should stay inside and you know or or, or just want to maybe wait till the sun goes down before you go outside and me I'm just like I just want to be outside I just want to get some sun and I'm not even thinking that deeply about it and I I shouldn't have to sit in my living room because of I mean at, at the end of the day it's just very um superficial it's just very superficial we have to stop doing this to each other like it's so important that we stop doing this to each other because our differences should be celebrated at the same time like you know one of the other other panelists said at the beginning we are african people but we are also very different and that's okay it's all right you know so all all my people are beautiful Yes, we are. We are. I don't know. I love the different spectrum, the different colors, the different shades. I don't know. I just think it's fun. Like, we're just so different. Yeah. It's just it's it's beautiful. Yes. Like, I saw this picture a while back. It was going from darker shade all the way to the lightest. And it was just so beautiful to me. Like, it's it's beautiful. I don't, I don't know why... People even think like being dark is like an issue or anything. I don't know. I, I just think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Uh huh. So, so let me and then sorry, uh, just to kind of go off of what, what she was just saying too. I think that, and this is something that you and I have talked about recently. Um, I think that it's very important for us as African people and also as IDP as the diaspora, like people, you know, African people dispersed across the planet. We have to be able to differentiate between. Um, our own voices, right? Because Africa is not on us, it's in us. We have to be able to differentiate between our own voices and also what may have been um, kind of imposed upon us by the dominant culture. Like, as it relates to me, I'm constantly trying to be aware of, you know, what European ideals that I may have allowed to become entrenched in my mind that affect either the way that I see myself or how I see my people. We have to be aware of that. Um, so I, I just think that that's really important. And I feel like we keep going back to this knowledge is power, education. But at the end of the day, I think that is what um, will really allow us to be able to do that. Exactly. So just kind of in line with um, you know that question, and as I mentioned earlier, um, this this uh, panel is a continuation of the interview that I had you know, with Yaren and Mech, you know, on what it means to find uh, your voice as an African woman. So, ladies, I want to pose this question to you. In today, like as you are today, what does it mean to be an African woman in this day and age? And at what point did you become proud of your identity and confident in who you are as a woman, as an African woman, or you know, however you choose to identify? Um, for me, I think it's a little while. I'm gonna be honest, like. Because like I said, I came here when I was really young. So I struggled a lot with identity because I was too American for the Africans and I was too African for the Americans. So I found myself in like this weird middle zone and I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And I'm gonna be real. When um, African people started like being mean to me, I was just like, okay, forget about it. I'm not African, I'm American. Like, 
but as I got older and I started being around like my closer friends were Liberians and they like encouraged me and like educated me about Liberia I felt more comfortable with claiming my Liberian heritage and my African heritage and it was just like whatever you can call me an African booty scratcher if you want but at least I know where I come from and I'm proud of that so it for me it was probably like I would say 11th grade year in high school I got more comfortable with it and I I got proud of where I'm from because I knew more of where I was because if I knew that because I knew where I was from and I, so yeah that's my whole situation what does it mean to be an African for me I just feel like African women are awesome like historically we're like the first women we're the first people like everybody comes from a black woman so I just I take pride in that and I just feel like we're really intelligent we're diverse we can be both domestic and we can also put on a suit and be a boss in, the, in whatever field that we're in. So, yeah, I feel like we're really awesome. Thank you. I'm still trying to think how to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll say um, for me, I've always been inclined with who I am as an African woman even coming here like regardless of all African food structure or being picked on being pushed in the halls or um, being called names I didn't care I'm African I'm not going to change that for anybody um how do I feel I just find an African woman I would say I feel like someone who was like strong was just relentless just out here getting it like that's how I see us. We can, like she said, we can be moms. We can be in the workforce. We're just very diverse. And we. Can, I just feel like we're very strong because we, as black women, we just have to go through a whole lot more than other races. Black women go through a lot. So I just feel like we're just unique. And... That makes a difference, and I just feel like we're gonna embrace that. I know right now, being African or the African culture, the fabrics, the music is like trending, but that's just who we are. Like, it shouldn't be a trend, that should be a lifestyle. That's just your lifestyle, like, that's your culture, that's your heritage, that's your everything, that's your identity. So, it's not a trend. When I see people just out here wearing African fabrics and just trending with it, it's just like, okay, but that's how we live, though. It's not a trend. It's not our culture. Mm-hmm. So that's just how I see everything. Thanks. What about you, Yara? For me, I've always been proud of my origin as South Sudanese or Sudanese. Um, but uh, I just felt like I was making myself behave a certain way or I have to fit a certain, I have to fall in a certain category in order for me to be the kind of African woman that I'm supposed to be or the kind of South Sudanese woman I'm supposed to be. But then the more I got older, I realized that I can be who I am and still fit into that uh, category of being an African woman. Uh, it was liberating actually. I just felt like I can, 
I can do anything. I can be outspoken. I don't have to fit in a sandbox. I can be so many things. Mm-hmm. And I can still be an African woman. Also, I feel like African women are leaders. They have fought wars. They have led countries and civilization. So mm-hmm. I want us to, to be empowered by that and to always be proud of our origin as African women. Exactly. That's beautiful. Show it. Um, so I would echo a, a lot of what the other lady said. Um, I think that, you know, we are everything. You know, we are, we are just yes. everything. Um, I mean, I'm not sure how many people know about that Eve Jean, EVE. You, know, mm-hmm. you don't know about that. We don't look that up. Yeah. <laughs> we have that Eve So we are... Um, You know, to answer the question of what does it mean to be an African woman in this day and age, um, that's that's a really hard question. But I I do think that we are leaders. Um, Naturally, we are leaders and we're resourceful, just naturally resourceful. And we if you have a problem, we have a solution just because we have it. You know, we 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 have that solution. And I think that we are very. I mean, if it does feel good to, um, you know, with this kind of conscious revolution that I feel like is happening, it does feel good to be seen by a lot more um, of our black men and our African men who are realizing the significance that we bring um, and what we contribute, because we contribute a lot. Um, And so I think that we are uh, multifaceted. I think we're talented. We're creative. We're dynamic. We're spiritual. Um, we're strong, um, and we just we we have a lot to bring. We have we have a lot. Mm-hmm. To bring. Absolutely, Absolutely. I agree with that. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Um, so there's something that I've noticed that happens in our community. This is just kind of a drastic change, and it's this idea of keeping things like like being extremely secretive about certain things. And what I mean by that is we have a tendency, you know, to kind of keep good news for ourselves um, out of fear of like evil-minded or jealous people Uh or dream killers uh, somehow, you know, coming and destroying whatever it is you have potentially going on. And uh, the other side of that is not wanting to share how you became successful with others because you're afraid they might end up doing better than you. so why do you think that some of us operate in this way? And do you happen to have any examples of either of these scenarios? Um, for the, I was talking about the secretive, for the good things happening. I think it's because um, back home, not, I don't even say back home, because I believe some of them are here now, now, now. Yeah. Um, which is, <laughs> people are evil. So it's just, whether you believe in voodoo or whether you don't believe it, it's real. So it's like people hide good things because they don't want people harming them. So it's like, and then it's like something you can't even prove that somebody did to you, like to stop you. Let's say I go to my friend and tell her I'm, about, I'm going for a job interview or that this job called me to start work. And then next thing you know, you get there, this person, Alec, they don't really know you. You can't start. You can't prove that that person stopped your blessing. You automatically gonna think whoever you told has something to do with why 
that employer acted the way they acted. Or, and I know a lot of women here, I've seen women here, when they get pregnant, they'll have their pregnancy. There, that someone back there or here is gonna harm them. But I think it's mainly somebody back there that they're worried about is gonna harm them or they're a bunch. Uh, I know I'm laughing, but it's, it's real. Serious. It's something <laughs> serious because I've seen it firsthand. And I myself, I mean, not that I'm scared. I don't. I don't think I'm scared because I've faced like a lot of spiritual things before. Like I don't do a lot of spiritually, but um, I'm not scared anymore. I don't think I will hide. But I do understand why people do that. So I guess it's up to them. But for the success part, I do feel like a lot of people do that on purpose. It's like. Why are you hiding how you got successful? Why are you not trying to empower other people to get there? And that's the issue with black folks. Mm-hmm. We don't want to share our success story or how we did it. We want to hide because it's like you want to be the center of attention. You want to be the only one. No, what if you tell, what if I come and tell Kathy? Kathy gets successful. Kathy tells more people. They get successful. We are building not just our race. You know, we're doing, you're building an entire community if you do that. But it's like we're just so self-centered and selfish with information. And it's just sad. Like, why are you hiding this? I know my sister told me before there was this girl that did a maternity picture um, stuff. And my sister went and asked her, oh, hey, um, who did this for you? How did it do it? Because my sister likes how the pictures came out. Mm-hmm. She was like, I'm not sharing because I don't want you copying. <laughs> I'm like, that's just so stupid. That was so ignorant. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, what? People are petty with stuff. Like, can you imagine just for pictures, someone is withholding information? You can just imagine their success story. People are just petty. That's just it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to piggyback off what um, Daisy was saying, for me personally, I like to wait until like the good thing happens, or like say I'm going for a job interview. I like to wait until I get the job, or I like to wait until the good thing happens. And like she said, I don't. I mean, I've never faced it like her. Um. And like that. But if I know how to do something or make something easier for somebody, I'm going to say it so that their life can be easier or whatever they're going through, they can um, succeed in whatever they're going through. So, yeah. I think it has a lot to do with like, it, yeah, it has a lot to do with like um, growing up and like the olden way of thinking because a, a lot of older people do that and it's imposed on us. And we don't even know why we do it. Or some people know why they do it, but most times certain cultural things, you don't even know why you do it. Oh, it's just because my mom told me not to do that. Yeah. Or my dad told me not to do that. Or there's oh, there's bad people out there or there's people like wishing my downfall. So yeah, that's it's, uh, it's crazy. Luckily, um, for me, I think it's because um, 
us Africans are very spiritual, whether it's religious or any other spirit, like the voodoo, like she said. Mm-hmm. So we always get scared that somebody's going to bewitch us. Somebody's going to, somebody has the evil eye. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, sometimes I don't like to share what I'm working on until it becomes successful because I don't want to fail and then having to explain myself like what happened or this and that. Like for instance, when I was uh, pregnant with my oldest daughter, I didn't really tell people, unless if you saw me, that's when you know that y'all is pregnant. I only shared, I shared my pregnancy, I think it was Christmas, Christmas pictures. And I had my daughter in February. So it was like I was seven months trimester because um, I didn't get pregnant as fast as the people wanted me to get pregnant and I also had a loss so I felt like okay I just want them to keep continue assuming whatever they are assuming but then I'm going to share when it's the right time when I feel like I'm safe I'm safe now I can come out and let them know that hey we're having a child mm-hmm. and then there was another incident when now uh, I was wearing this really nice dress and one girl asked me like when I got my dress and I told her and I was like yeah I got it from Dillard's and it was on sale you know yeah, and then we were sitting next to me she was looking at me like after the girl like she was like really you told her she's gonna go buy that same dress tomorrow I'm like so <laughs> same we don't have the same bodies we have different body types it's gonna look different on her and actually it doesn't bother me even if, if she was wearing the same dress and we're sitting together I don't care Exactly. I, I really don't know why that should even be an issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Shoei, I know you and I talked about this, like, literally this week, I think, or, you know, different points. Can you share, like, some of the things we discussed? Yeah, um, so some of the things, um, so that, that I'm thinking, it's, it's really interesting to me to hear what everyone else is saying, because... Um, it's, it's, it's interesting when you you know certain things and then someone else points it out and when I hear people, when I hear the other ladies talk about like spiritually you don't want anybody to put anything bad on what you, what you may be doing or what you may have going um, I definitely I understand that and I think that this is kind of like a new and unwanted conversation because I agree with the ladies that sometimes you you may know and understand that maybe not everybody may have your best interest at heart. Um, I know for me personally, sometimes I um, try to manifest things before I share it, just because I know that not everybody is sending positive energy in, in my direction all the time, and I don't want anybody to in any way taint what I may have going on. But um, I think that a couple of things that you and I talked about in Kiro, um, especially as IDPs, as internationally displaced people, as the African diaspora, um, we have to look out for each other, um, especially in, I can just speak for, you know, where I live. I live, again, in Colorado. There's a huge Ethiopian community out here. Um, at the end of the day, kind of armed with the knowledge that this society was not really stratified for me in particular to thrive. Like our society is just, it's, the system is built for white people. It's optimal for white people. At the end of the day, um, we're existing within this society and there's of course the opportunity for success there's black exceptionalism and, and you know we do do well with what we are given we're the best at making lemonade out of lemons but i think that we kind of have to remember that if we do find certain successes in certain areas 
We have to share that with each other because this is not for us. Like this, 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 I, I can't stress that enough. Like if I, if I know something, if I have learned to navigate this system in a way that's been beneficial to me, I've been able to, I figured out how to purchase a home. I figured out the best way to um, overcome certain systemic oppressions, whether it be predatory lending, or if I figured out how to get a scholarship for school or, or, or get a leg up in any way, I feel like it's, it's not only just kind, but it's also a responsibility that we have to each other to make sure, well, you know, I I don't have to hold on to the blessings that I've been giving, given by the hairs of my chinny chin chin. I have to share that with my people. I have to communicate that and be open and transparent so that, you know, other people in my community can see themselves in me and say, oh, well, oh, okay, so she was able to do that. And, and be able to know that they can ask me, like, you know, how they can go about doing that as well, because I mean, at the end of the day, we can all strive for our own individual successes. But it's, I mean, for me personally, I get more of a level of fulfillment from helping my people. And um, I, I just think that that's an extremely big cultural protective factor that we have as people who are essentially estranged from our homelands. We need to make sure that we're looking out for each other and we're sharing information with each other about how we can be the best that we can be. And, and, and Kira, one of the things that we talked specifically about was scarcity culture. So I agree with all the ladies about, because again, I think this is nuanced. I think there's so many reasons for it, but I think with African, African people and African-American people, there's this concept of scarcity culture of, because we've had to fight so hard all the time for what we have, um, because there's such competition for resources just in general, whenever we acquire something, we feel in in a, in a way, if, if I'm to share this information with somebody else, if I'm to tell somebody else how I achieve something, that will somehow take away from my success or my ability to continue to be successful. I mean, even down to things as, you know, as um, Yara said about where I bought this outfit or where I bought this dress, Oh, if she, what if she buys the dress and she looks better than me? You know, just it can it can be petty things. To, it, it doesn't matter. But I think that we have that perspective sometimes of um, if I'm to help someone else, that will take away from me and my shine. And I think that that's something that we have to that type of mentality. We have to be aware of it. and We have to be for each other. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Well, kind of the reason, my thinking, I guess, with this question is because like, and uh, shout out to my sister. She just got accepted into like you know a pharmacy school, and, um, you know I put and for some strange reason, uh, one of my mom's I guess friends like literally called her and said, hey, you know why did your daughter post this about you know I'm wait until this and this like like why first of all why are you trying to like rain on someone's like celebration and. You know, this is something that should, should be like a happy moment, but you're trying to cloud it by saying, oh, you know, why did you post it now? Why not wait till she actually graduates? Like, it's like unnecessary negativity, you know. So I think that's, I don't know. I think that's why many of us, you know, we, we like to keep things kind of secret because we're afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, Shoei, and like everyone else has said as well, like, you might think that it's a good thing and you're like, in your heart, you're, you're thinking that it's good, it's a positive thing. And you have very negative people who will try to, one way or the other, say something negative and kind of try to bring you down. But, you know, that's just, 
something that we have to like uh, get, o- get over I feel like um, so I just want to switch a little bit to this post I saw on Twitter by this someone named Solomon Bucci at Solomon underscore Bucci and he pretty much made a thread uh, dedicated to African parents in particular where he said things like uh, don't make your daughters assistant parents to their brothers and by extension younger siblings uh, never make them feel like their sister is there to serve them and then the other thing he said <laughs> so I see you're laughing boys should be fully involved in domestic <laughs> domestic chores and learn how to cook and clean as a basic life skill and another thing he says is that uh, parents should hold their boys accountable and at the same time or at the same standard rather than they do to their girls because in not doing so parents are directly or indirectly grooming young men who will grow up to be entitled and unable to do basic things for themselves which will affect their future partners or spouses who will then have to make up for the areas where he is lacking or to put it in his words um, you know grown men who can't do anything but offer the bare minimum while expecting maximum results (laughs) it's very nice to see that a a guy is saying this especially he's an African guy um, right the ladies, um, of course, I know all of us have experience in this area. Um, do you care to share any of your, of your experiences with this? Um, in particular, for those of us who are like, I guess, the firstborn or, or whatever, where you feel like you've had to like parents, your younger siblings. Yes, I see you, Kathy. <laughs> so, uh, also, in what ways would you raise your sons differently? I know we kind of talked about it earlier. So as to make mm-hmm. them better, for, better men for your partner, but also to themselves. And um, yeah, I love my siblings to death, <laughs> but it was annoying growing up. I'm the firstborn, I couldn't go anywhere because I had to take care of my little sisters. I had to clean diapers, I had a fixed formula. I, like, it was like I had two children at like 16 and 11. Like, no, I don't, I agree with you know, your um, the older siblings should help out. But, like, imposing it and forcing the older sibling to do it, I don't agree with that. Because at the same time, like, their children or whatever age they may be, young adults, they have to live their life, too. Like, I missed out on a lot of experiences just because I couldn't go out. Before I could go out, I had to ask my mom, like, two weeks in advance. Like, I'm, you know, like, I'm the parent. Like, I have to find a babysitter. Like, are you serious? So that used to get on my nerves a lot. But I mean, there's a good thing about it because I know how to take care of kids now. And you know, if, when I do have my kids, I'm gonna know what to do. But it was just hard being a teenager and not being able to do um, a lot of things because I had my children, my little sisters. And um, I totally agree with um, making sure that boys know how to do domesticated chores. I've dated a lot of grown boys in my life. And I say grown boys because they don't know how to clean. They don't know how to cook. Like, they don't know how to do anything. Because African tradition, once you have a boy child, it's like the holy grail. Like, you've made it in life. You you know, you're continuing your family's name or whatever it is. And most times, they don't, they have little to no responsibility. They don't take it, they don't be, they're not held accountable for anything that they do. I often heard a lot of times growing up, oh, you know, boys may be boys, 
if a boy hits you, it just means he likes you. Like, what type of crap is that? No. Or um, you, you're the woman. You have to make sure you keep the home. Like, of course, he's a guy. He's not gonna. He's not gonna cook. He's not gonna clean. Like, he's not expected to do all that. I don't believe that. Like, I don't believe that. I feel like a lot of times when that happens, you're basically raising a grown boy. Like, he's not gonna be a man because. He's not going to know what to do. He's not going to know how to function without a woman. Or he's going to think that his wife or his girlfriend is his mom. And that's not the case. Like, those are my experiences. And that's how I feel about that. So, yeah. Well, I can't really relate with the siblings side of it. Because I'm the last. Um, <laughs> but I can't say that my sisters, especially when I was back home, they were responsible for me. I can't say that. <laughs> People thought my sisters were my mom. Um, for the raising the boy child, well, I don't have a boy yet, but I do believe men know how to do stuff. Because, for example, my brother, thank you, you know him. Um, <laughs> Oh. When we were home, like living together, he won't even help do anything. Like he won't do anything. He's gone, like gone after school. He's gone. Comes home, sleep, wake up, and go again. So um, it was always me doing stuff. Um, so when he moved on his own, now he's learning how to do stuff for himself. That's like. No one's going to do it for you, even if you have a girlfriend. She's not going to constantly be in your house cleaning and cooking like your wife. She's not your wife. Even if she was your wife, that's not her job. You're supposed to help out. So it's like, I definitely agree that we need to teach our boys how to be independent of women when it comes to household chores. I do agree with that. Exactly. Yes. I didn't have an experience like as a firstborn. I was the third. I'm the thirdborn. But oh my god, like all my cousins, my friends, like growing up, I, I just I felt terrible for them. Mm-hmm. Even still here in the states, I see a lot of South Sudanese parents giving so much responsibility to their young kids, mm-hmm. and it really affects them. Like I remember, I have a cousin. We were the same, age, but she was always the babysitter, she would cook, she would clean, she would do, she has to wake up extra early in the morning so she can warm up the milk, feed the children, doing all that stuff before she goes to school. Guess what? It affected her. She was mm-hmm. doing well in school. She just, she had to escape that life. So she said yes to the first guy that came to marry her because she just wanted to get away. Yeah, and things didn't work out for her. And uh, also, I remember growing up when I would go to like some family reunion or things like that, the girls would like go to the kitchen and help the mom or set the tables. The boys would be out there playing, uh-huh. oh my God. doing other stuff. I just felt, I was jealous. I felt like, why do we have to always be the main? Why do we have to do the cooking and the cleaning? Why do I even have to go to somebody's house and go serve them? Like my mom would tell me, you know, as a good girl, you don't have to wait for people to ask for help. Like if I go to the house and I saw her mom is cooking or doing something, I have to run and go just help because 
that's what a good girl is supposed to be. I can't get sick uh-huh. and expect people to, to serve me, which I find, I find it very crazy. Uh-huh. And then about the boys, I don't have a boy yet. I have two girls. But when I have a boy, I'm going to make sure I will raise that son well. I will make sure that he won't be the reason for other black women to have to fear from him. Mm-hmm. You know, cooking and cleaning, doing all that stuff are basic life skills. They don't have a gender. So mm-hmm. I will make sure that he's not going to be like the, the people that I see walking in these streets. Ooh, these grown boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. He's a cook and he works out and he's into like health lifestyle. So sometimes, especially when he deploys in the military, when he deploys, he would be like uh, cooking and live or telling people like how to cook and stuff. And then one of the aunties told me, she was like, you know what? Just, um, it's not good for people to know that your husband can cook. Oh, and I'm like, don't share that your husband knows how to cook because that will make you look like you're not a good woman, you're not taking care of him, or it will make other women like try to pursue him or, or steal him from me. You know, we just have to stop setting low, uh, low standards. We just have to, we're not going to praise men just because they can cook. Why don't I get praised for that? I cook. Yeah. Thank you. Why does he have Hello. to? Oh my God, she, her husband is such a good man. I mean, my husband is a good man. Um, I'm pretty sure he's watching. <laughs> 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 I just like, we have to stop normalizing those kind of things. Like, we, mm-hmm. yeah, people deserve to be praised, but not for the little things, the normal things that they Yeah. Should. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So? Um, so, so I, I'm also the youngest in my family, I'm the youngest, uh, I'm a blend, we're a blended family, so, but I'm the youngest of, like, seven siblings, um, and I only have one sister, so the rest are boys, so, very, uh, sharply familiar with this topic, but, um, as far as, um, I never really felt like my siblings were responsible for me, because, uh, so like I said, we were, just to give a little bit of context, we were a blended family. My sister, you know, lived with her dad. Um, I, I, where, where I think there would have been a lot of pressure on her to, to care for her younger siblings. She just wasn't around for, for that to be the case. I don't think as much. I mean, I know that she felt a certain degree of responsibility for us, but, um, not, not in the way that I think, I think other people have experienced it. Um, but... The accountability thing I've definitely seen um, and I've also seen that with my friends like I have you know a lot of close friends that I grew up with who had that that responsibility as well to care for their younger siblings like I remember you know one of them remembering one of my close friends that I grew up with in particular she was she had like a 10-year age gap on her other siblings um well, maybe not that much but she was she was a lot older than them she had a younger brother younger sister and I remember her getting like whoopings like if they got into anything like if they if something happened to them if something went wrong it was like her mom would come straight to her and I just remember noticing it as a kid like why is that such why is there such a huge responsibility on you to care for your siblings um, I, I do understand that you know obviously families have to look out for each other siblings have to look out for each other um, but I, I do think there needs to be a balance there. Um, as far as our boys, when um, 
you know, I, 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 grew, I grew up like that where there was so much responsibility responsibility placed on me and my, my brothers would always just get a free pass. I mean, they could do whatever they wanted. They could go run run around. They, they could just do whatever, <laughs> literally whatever. And, um, you know, my mom in particular was, was just always giving them the benefit of the doubt. And... I mean, responsibilities around the home. If there was if there was something around the home that wasn't done, it was always me. Why is this not done? And you know, of course, being a kid, well, what about him? Why 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 aren't you saying anything to him? Or why aren't you saying anything to him? And you know, it was just, it would just always come back to me at the end of the day. So I think that um, there is a certain degree of entitlement that can arise if um, there's not a balance and. I think that can be problematic. I, I feel like when I, you know, eventually I hope to have a son, and if I do, then I will raise him to um, be helpful to his wife and to just be accountable and to not be so um, entitled. I mean, me and Kira, me, you and I talk about this all the time where I feel like, you know, my my brothers are just, my, my parents were just so much harder on me to where I, I remember one time my dad even told me, like, so, so I'm, I'm actually the youngest of all of my dad's children. So my dad has four children. I'm the youngest. I was the first to graduate college. I was the first to do a lot of things. But I remember my dad specifically telling me, like, you are my only hope. I don't have hope in them. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, because they were all getting into their own things. And, you know, they were just being boys. And he's like, you're my only hope. And I felt the weight of that. So um, I, I, I just think that accountability responsibility it needs to be instilled in our children male or female and that's that's kind of the approach that i would take yeah so i actually appreciate you for mentioning that um all of you ladies but um like i'm the eldest of four and um i didn't get into a lot of trouble um you know growing up because yes i was a good kid as you can tell (laughs) you're perfect (laughs) right (laughs) but the the trouble that i did get in was like you said show um because of what my siblings did and it kind of you know affected our relationship at different points because it's like why should i as a 10 year old or whatever age be responsible for you know my six or five or whatever age-year-old sibling and it's like, if they do something bad, why in the world would I have to get punished for it? As if I'm like the parent. Like the parent should be the one who is, you know, responsible for the kids, not themselves having to like assume adult adult responsibilities because they are, you know, the eldest. So I think that's that's one thing that we need to like be uh, mindful of, especially when we, you know, raise our own children. Just because you have children, they're not like built-in baby, you know, babysitters, you know. So that's not fun. Mindful of. <laughs> that is hard. It's not. <laughs> like fathom that. But um, you know, just have to like children needs need space to grow up and be children and also, you know, move through life and make mistakes or whatever, not having to like deal with those kind of heavy responsibilities, especially if they don't have to. Like they're not orphaned or anything. They have mm-hmm. so, but anyway, that's just something I just wanted to share. So, um, ladies, just because we want to round up just a little bit, um, what words of advice would you give to our younger sisters who may be listening, um, you know, listening to this conversation? Or to make it more personal, what advice would you give your younger self with the knowledge and experience that you have today? I guess I'll start. <laughs> um, 
the advice I would give to like younger girls is know your worth. Like your worth doesn't depend on how somebody else views you or how how much they value you. You have to value yourself before anybody else can, you know, seek validation in you or see validation in you. And um, be yourself. Understand or like be okay with thinking for yourself. Like it's okay to use your brain. You don't have to think like everybody else. You don't have to be like everybody else because you're an original. You don't have to be a photocopy. And um, educate yourself. Definitely, education is important. And um, what else? I mean, just live life to the fullest. I guess. Yeah, that would be my advice to my younger self and to the younger girls out there. Anyone else? Oh. <laughs> oh, for me, I would advise my younger self and younger girls to just be themselves and to learn how to say no. You have to please everybody. Mm-hmm. And also, um, don't compare yourself to other people. Go at your own pace. Like, uh, if you, let's say I work out, and sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, I go to the gym every day and I'm not seeing any progress. Like, those, I, I don't look like this girl, or my butt is not as good as, you know, such and such. No. Compare to yourself. Compare your, compare Compare your, only to yourself, like compare, I would compare myself mm-hmm. how I was yesterday or last week to, in order for me to see my own uh, progress. Mm-hmm. So, focus on yourself. Men can be the last thing that you should worry about. Do not live your life, try to impress men or try to look a certain way to please men. Just, just be you. And that man will find you. That man who really loves you will love you the way you are. You don't have to shake yourself. You don't have to change yourself to fit in. Just be you and be proud. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. To say or show. Um, I'll definitely. I'll say. Don't rush in life. Um, take your time. Get to know yourself. Study yourself. Know your worth, like Kathy said. Um, and also, don't be afraid to do better. When I say do better, don't be afraid for people to say, oh, why are you aiming so high? Or... If you're in a relationship, why are you trying to be smarter? Because I've heard that before. Think your spouse. Um, you should always want to improve yourself regardless. You should always want the best. You shouldn't settle. Um, and also, you should have a voice and be able to express yourself anytime, anywhere. You don't have to be rude about it, of course, but you should always have a voice. Exactly. So, um, so I guess advice that I would give to both my younger self and to younger girls is just 
very similar to what the other lady said. Take your time. Um, trust your voice more than you trust other people's voice. Learn to be able to hear your own voice. Um, and also just be kind to yourself. You're gonna learn. You're going to um, learn. You're gonna learn yourself. You're gonna learn things about yourself. And just be kind to yourself. Um, but just also, you know, just strive to be better. Inform yourself. You have to know information. You have to seek information. Um, and that, that's what I would say is, is the most important. Just seek information, seek knowledge, be kind to yourself, and just know that all is well. All is well, all will be well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, ladies, I would definitely like to echo pretty much what you all have said as far as, you know, finding your voice, knowing yourself, um, you know, aiming high. But one thing that I would personally say for myself, especially with this uh, past year, you know, I just, you know, had my birthday last uh, last week. For me, I would say um, one thing that I've learned in particular, like I said, with this past year and everything that's, that has happened is to not be a, um, you know, a, a bystander in your own life. Like, don't just sit and allow life your life to happen to you. Like, whatever you desire from your life, you know, be an active participant in that, you know, whatever, whether it's a decision that you would like to make, whether it's, a, you know, a personal choice, like something that you uh, truly desire that will make you happy, you know, make sure that you do whatever you can to get to that level of happiness. Don't allow someone else to, you know, say how your life should run or, you know, for mm-hmm. you to sit quietly and let other things happen to you. And then, you know, you end up regretting or, you know, holding a grudge or whatever later on. So, just to be an active participant in your own life. And, um, you know, like you said, not being afraid to say no sometimes and, you know, understanding what makes you happy and, and who you truly are. And um, so with that, ladies, I always like to close by giving my guests, you know, the opportunity to share uh, what it is they're currently working on, you know, what they're passionate about or how people can connect with them or just any other parting words. So. Ladies, um, if you would just please quickly share, you know, a thought or two, or like I said, if there's anything that you want the listeners to, you know, maybe support you, if there's a project you're working on, just feel free to let them know. So I'll start with you, Yara. Yara, you're on mute. We can't hear you. <laughs> you're on mute. <laughs> okay. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I have a... Okay, I have a Facebook uh, page. It's called The Women of the Sudans. That page is dedicated to empowering South Sudanese women and sharing their success stories and just break the stereotypes. Because a lot of people don't even know South Sudan, don't even know that there are South Sudanese women that are everything in, in every field. Um, we do have an uh, Instagram page. It's also called the Women of the Sudans with an S because it includes South Sudan and Sudan. And also my personal Instagram at Yara, Y-A-R-A, underscore B, underscore B. Thank you. Okay. Is that? Yeah. Um, well, it's in the planning um, phase right now, so I can't really speak much <laughs> on it, but hopefully... I will in the future. I'm doing a project with Kathy, more like a docu series, but 
but we are still in the flame stages of that. Okay. No, I mean, it's not. We're planning. Like she said, we're planning. So we don't really have a lot of information yet to share. But when we do have information, we will share. And um, yes. I'm an up and coming publicist. So follow me on Heartfelt Media at, on Facebook, on Facebook, and um, on Instagram. I mean, <laughs> and um, Kathy Scott. Um, Heart, my last name, H A R T. Pat, um, dash F E L T media M E D I A. And you guys can follow my page. Um, I have a lot of things coming up, like our docu series, and I'm working with an amazing artist. And um, I also work with a great nonprofit organization called Future Growth Development. And we empower and we um, help the inner city youth of Charlotte. So you guys can follow Future Growth Development. That's Thanks Future. Um, well, you guys know how to spell Future, but <laughs> Future Growth Development on yeah. Facebook and on Instagram. We're doing a lot of great things for inner city youth because we believe in investing in the youth because they're our future. And you can also follow me on my personal Instagram page, Queen Kathy 26 That's K W. E-E-N-K-A-T-H-Y 26 and that's on Instagram. So that's pretty much it, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Show, do you have anything to share? Any parting words or anything? Um, any parting words, you said? Yeah, or just anything. Um, so, I mean, my handles on all of my, well, you can find me on social media Eventually, so I'm, I'm taking a hiatus, but I, I do have social media. My handle is the same across the board, so it's at uh, Love Is My Religion, spelled L U V I Z M I Religion, uh, R E L I G I O N. Love Is My Religion. Um, so that's my handle on all social medias. Um, as, as far as parting words, um, thank you for listening. Oh yeah, we didn't say parting words. Oh, yeah. love yourself, know your worth. You're awesome. <laughs> Those are my parting words. <laughs> and thanks for watching. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having us in here. Yeah, thank you. This is a great platform. Thank you. Now enjoy the conversation. Yeah, I'm so happy that you all were able to, you know, come on. So thank you once again, ladies, for being here. It's really been an honor. I really appreciate it. And for our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, once again, this is Conversation from the Diaspora, a Building Africa's Future podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.